0: and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff.
1: Hey.
0: Yep, welcome back. Uh, today, we're going to tackle some exciting goals that you can kind of frame around where you're at in your career because for everyone it's a little bit different but I think that there are some kind of reasonable reasonable, and practical things that you should have in mind at every stage of your career. We're going to try to narrow it down to three and Honestly, you probably need to be doing more than three things, but sometimes it's helpful to like focus in on on a short list that can seem very achievable. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to just focus on things by, you know, where you're at. Are you a student? Are you in training still? Are you a new attending? And then keep in mind that, like, as always, everything is different depending on what your your personal situation is. We kind of focused on individual needs. If you have a family, you're probably going to have some other needs and things like that. But these are just a short list of things that you can look at. Um, yeah, we're going to get started with like the earliest stage, basically, in terms of being an adult and, and trying to figure out your financial situation when you're not reliant on your parents anymore. But Corey, you want to kick us off with student planning
1: yeah so and as we go through this these goals should build upon each other so it's like mm-hmm. the stuff we mentioned to do as a student you don't stop doing that once you get into residency you just build upon that uh those goals and obviously like rochelle mentioned you could there's probably more than three things you could or should be doing at each stage but it's stage but these are probably the high notes and things that apply to most all of you um everything of course it depends. Is case by case, and uh, you know everyone's situation is different. But most of these should apply to all of you. So, as a student, if you're a proactive med student listening to this podcast, kudos to you. But uh, first order of business is is live frugally. Hopefully, you've been living frugally through college and. And whatnot, but you remember you're a student. You are not a doctor. Um, you, you you literally aren't a doctor. You don't have your MD or DO yet until you graduate school. So live frugally. Um, you know, top ramen. That's uh, you know, dollar beer night. It, it, we're not we're not doing anything <laughs> fancy here. Keep keep the uh, the budget in check, and and avoid credit card debt, um, which would be goal number two. So we want to really try and keep those credit cards to a minimum. You know, if we're using student loans to, to cover living expenses, let's make sure we're, we're sticking within the allotted amount that we've received for student loans. If, uh, you know, parents are helping us out, great, but but let's really try not to rack up a credit card debt. Um, You know, use your credit cards, get points and whatnot, but, but you should really pay those off in full each month. And then this will also help build your credit score. And then... Try and minimize the amount of student loans you take out. So if um, you know, if you are t- taking out student loans, you know use it to cover the tuition and some living expenses, but but try to minimize that because the less you take out now is less you have to pay back later. And you know maybe you'll be fortunate enough to pursue public service loan forgiveness. But even with that, the the amount that you have to pay each month is a function of your income and the balance on those loans. So the higher the balance, the larger that payment minimum payment requirement is going to be. So your future self will appreciate you if you take out as little student loans as possible. Um, And and yeah, just, just live as frugally as you can.
0: Yeah, all those goals are really related, but honestly, like it's pretty simple as a student. Like, your goal is to not get into debt that you can't get yourself out of easily. Um, And with the student loans, like they will allot you a specific dollar amount that you qualify for for living expenses every year, and you don't necessarily need the full dollar amount. So, I think that's something that can be hard for students to understand. It's like, I was given this much to live on, this is my budget. No, like, make your budget first. Figure out how much you need to live on. And if the amount that they give you is more than you need, you can give it back. You know, like you don't have to take out that full dollar amount. And I think, you know, most of you probably intuitively understand that. But at the same time, I think it's worth saying.
1: Yeah, live with roommates. If you have a spouse that's making money, you may not need to even take out the full amount for tuition. You could pay for some of it out of pocket, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, minimize the expenses.
0: Yep. And then the next stage of your career your life um if you're a doctor you're gonna have to go through some additional training so we have residency we have fellowship and at this point like maybe you have a lot of the credentials you've got the initials you're the md you're the do but you do not have the salary to match that yet you are making regular people money right now (laughs) so we want to keep up what we were doing before like let's not rack up credit card debt let's do our best to you know avoid the student loans building up too much at this stage in time like they're going to start building interest like that's what they're going to do um unless you know you're doing this three years of covid forbearance but that was pretty unusual and we are not going to expect that to continue moving forward so goal number one at this stage is just going to be to make any minimum income driven payments on your student loans um, even if you don't have a ton of money like ideally that payment's probably going to be low because it's based on your income and if you make those income-driven payments while you are in training, then if you do end up working for a PSLF qualifying employer, those minimum payments will count towards the number of payments that you need to make towards your loans. So that's really important. You know, you just want to set yourself up so that you're in a good situation when you finish training to be able to knock those out sooner than later. Um, goal number two, we have like. We don't necessarily anticipate people being able to do a ton of retirement savings when they're in training, but ideally, like you are making at least a minimum contribution into your 401k or 403b if you have one to get any matching dollars. And not every residency or fellowship program matches retirement plan contributions, but if they do, treat it like it's free money because it is. You know, so make the, the enough of a contribution so that you get any of that free money that they are giving to you for saving into retirement plans. Um, and then the other thing is, like, you're at the very beginning of your career. You potentially have a ton of income to earn throughout your career. And th- at work, your goal number three, like, you have a little bit of disability insurance through work. But it doesn't come anywhere close to protecting the income that you're expecting to make. So I would say, like early on in training, it makes a lot of sense to look into long term disability insurance to protect a lot of those future earnings. So you can get just a base policy right now that protects, you know, probably a little more than your current income, but with the ability to increase when you finish training to protect your attending income as well. And that's gonna be your best way to make sure that, like, all of the hard work you've put in is something that you get to receive income for a long term um, there are some institutions some residency and fellowship programs that have guaranteed standard issue or gsi long-term disability programs you can potentially like qualify those for those without having to do any medical underwriting usually there's discounts associated with those as well so that's worth asking like your gme program about that um, and then also as a resident or fellow even if you don't have access to one of those guaranteed standard issue or gsi plans you do have access to discounts pretty much every residency and fellowship institution has access to discounts for long-term disability coverage with a lot of different carriers so it's worthwhile to you know get in touch with an independent agent can that can run the numbers for each of those different carriers and figure out which one's going to be the most cost competitive and just get a policy in place sooner than later um yeah corey you jump in i've been talking for too (laughs) long
1: (laughs) Yeah, on the the disability front. So the the GME program may or may not be aware of those GSI programs. They're typically sold through outside insurance agencies or financial advising companies that are licensed to to sell disability insurance. Um, so if the GME says, you know, we we don't have it or we we don't know what you're talking about, you know, don't just stop there. Do a little googling. Maybe ask some friends or. Um, colleagues, if they've heard anything about it, reach out to us. We have a lot of lists of the various ones around the country. But, but those are nice because with disability insurance, um, you have to be relatively healthy to get a policy. <clears throat> and if you have any health issues or pre-existing conditions, those things could be excluded on the policy you get. But with those guaranteed standard issue policies, there are no, there's no medical run underwriting, there's no exclusions. Basically, the only underwriting question they ask you is if you've ever been declined for disability insurance in the past. So if you've applied for disability insurance previously and got declined due to health reasons or any reason, you're not eligible for the GSI. So if, if health is of at all a concern of yours, or if there's any question marks in your health history... You know, those GSIs would be the first one to pursue before looking at a normal policy. If you're healthy, the normal policy will be a little bit more comprehensive. You can get a little more features and and benefits on it. Um, But if you have any health history, those GSIs, if available through your institution, are nice. The other thing on the student loans, you know, just to make sure you're teeing yourself up to be eligible for PSLF, if that's the career path you go, Um, in addition to signing up for the minimum, income-based payments. Make sure that you have uh, federal direct student loans. They have to say the word direct in the title. So if you have Staffords or FFELs or Perkins or whatever other stuff they have nowadays or in the future, um, you you might need to do a direct loan consolidation to make sure those are are the right type of loans to be eligible for PSLF. So that'd be something to do on the front end in addition to signing up for the income-driven payment plan on those loans.
0: Yep, definitely. Um, So summary, goal one, make your minimum student loan payments. Goal two, get matching dollars from your employer retirement plan. Goal three, get some disability insurance. And then if you feel like you're in good shape and you've got some extra cash flow, I would say extra credit would be starting to build up an emergency reserve fund if you don't have one already and thinking about making some Roth IRA contributions. Um, And we'll talk about that a little bit in the next phase, because if you can't do it as a trainee, like ideally you can do it when you are just starting as an attending. So the next phase of the career is like, what does it look like as a new attending? And this is when things really start to get exciting, because you just have more resources at this point. You know, we have more resources to start putting money towards maybe some short-term goals, definitely long-term goals. And this is where, like, goal number one should be to build your emergency reserve if you haven't already. And ideally, you can start to build up about three to six months of your fixed expenses for just in case. Just in case you don't have a paycheck coming in. Just in case some big unexpected expense comes up. Anything like that. Um, And this is kind of assuming... Some of those other goals are already taken care of. We don't have credit card debt. You know, like we've we've done some things to kind of set us, ourselves up or we were able to. Um, goal number two is that we want to make sure we're maxing out any tax advantaged retirement accounts as an attending, you officially are making more money and you're very likely in a higher tax bracket at this point, not for everyone necessarily, but usually you are. So we just wanna make sure that any advantages the IRS gives us for saving, we're, we're doing that. So if you have a 401k or a 403b at work, try to make the maximum contribution. In 2023, that's $22,500 as an employee. So that's one account that you can put money into. You can potentially also put money into an IRA If you make too much money, you might not be able to contribute directly into a Roth IRA, but you can usually use like a backdoor Roth IRA strategy, which is a little bit complicated. Make sure you're like talking to an advisor or a tax accountant about like those kinds of things if you're going to try to do that. Um, But just try to get all of the money that you can into these tax advantage vehicles because it really will be helpful for your long-term savings. Um, And that brings us to goal number three. Like Ideally, as a new attending, you're able to work towards saving at least 20% of your gross income, so before taxes, for retirement. And that's a good way to kind of set yourself up so that You know, when you do retire, you're able to retire at a a reasonable age and hopefully not have to dramatically change your lifestyle. Like, that's not the goal when we get to retirement. When we get to retirement, we want to be able to do the same things that we did while we were working and not worry about running out of money. So, if you can save at least 20%, that's a great start. And that should be, you know, one of your first goals as a new attending. And then there's extra credit. (laughs) But there are some things that are applicable for some people and not for others. You know, so at this point, I think it's a a good time to be thinking about buying a house, you know, after you've kind of settled into that first new job. Um, And if you noticed, we didn't say this earlier, I think for most folks, it can be really challenging to do this as a trainee. If you're like a dual income household, maybe a little bit easier, maybe you've already knocked this out. But, you know, if it's just you and you were living on a training salary before now, like this is the point where that becomes a lot more doable. So if that's really important to you for your lifestyle, for your family, this is a good time to be considering that. Don't buy too much house. Nope. As an aside. (laughs) Yeah. we've Uh, Yeah.
1: (laughs) We've done episodes on housing before, you know. But yeah, you know, when you transition into practice, you know, keep living like a resident initially so you can build up that emergency reserve, build up a little bit of a down payment for the house. Even if you're doing one of those physician home loans, you're probably going to need at least 5% down uh, for that, if not 10 or even 15% for a down payment. Um, You know, less than the customary 20%, but still something plus some closing fees and whatnot and furniture and moving expenses. So it's it's not going to be... Uh, no money up front. <clears throat> um, and, yeah, make sure we're getting the future on track before we give ourselves the pay raise on our take-home pay. Um, and then you will get a pay raise, I can promise you. But we we, we <laughs> don't want to spend the money first because then it will be hard to achieve some of those goals. And, um, you know, student loans those should already be on track whether you're pursuing PSLF or something else. Um, I guess you could figure out how, you know, the path to pay those off if so. But, Yeah. Goal one, max out or build up the emergency reserve if you haven't already. Goal two, make sure we're maxing out tax advantage retirement accounts. And then three, make sure we're saving at least 20% of our earnings for retirement, um, if not more, if we want to potentially retire sooner or if we're getting a late start. You know, But that 20% should probably be a minimum for us. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that brings us to like kind of the next stage. So when you're settled into practice, this feeds very nicely into that, but goal number one should kind of be to define your goals. <laughs> like they might change. and I think we kind of expect them to change over time. but it's important to have a baseline of like, this is what I want to be able to achieve for myself by the time you know I reach retirement age. So you know, a few things to be thinking about is how long you want to work? Are you a person that just wants to work until you can't anymore? Are you a person that wants to retire at age 55 or 50? Because those are very, very different. You know, is it more important to you that right now you have a good work-life balance? So maybe we work less during our career and retire a little bit later. And that's an option too. So I think when you can really settle in and define those goals a little bit better, then you know what you need to do to achieve them. Um, so that's that's really important. I think I, I also like to think about it at this point in your career when you're kind of settled into practice because now you know how much you want to get out of there. <laughs> you know? Like, you know what the career looks like. You have the, the a reasonable expectation of what working life looks like. So what do you want retirement to look like? So that's a really important one at that stage in your career. Um, at this point, like, we've had our student loan strategy in place, so ideally we're working towards eliminating that student loan debt completely. So whether it's they're forgiven, poof, they're here one day and gone the next, woohoo, or, you know, we're paying them off the old-fashioned way, like ideally we, we have a set period of time, maybe 10 years, and they are gone at that point. Goal number three that we have written down here, this one is something that I think we sometimes forget about, um, and maybe should be addressed earlier on. It really depends on your personal situation. But we do want to gain an understanding of any aging parent situation and needs. And at some point, your parent's situation will become your own, whether it's, you know, you're inheriting wealth for them or, you know, they need to go into a long-term care facility and don't necessarily have the resources to deal with that on their own or maybe, you know, they need help making medical decisions, like any of those kinds of things, they will eventually become something that, that you'll probably become a part of that process in that situation. So the earlier you can kind of gain an understanding of, of what those needs may be, the better. And I think at this point, it's when for a lot of you, it will probably become more relevant, you know, it'll probably be something that's, that's coming up sooner than later.
1: Yeah, if your parents don't have an estate plan, make them get one. And if you mm-hmm. don't have one, you may as well get it at the same time. Um, definitely important to have so that we can plan for the future. Because we all know, you know, death and taxes—two things that are certain in life. We're not going to live forever, so we gotta, you know, make your life easier if your parents' circumstances are, are buttoned and organized, and you know where everything is. Let's see, um, advanced career. So we're probably, you know, been working 15, 20 years or so. We're kind of setting our sights on the retirement timeline or date. And uh, so goal number one is refine your exit strategy. You know, educate yourself on various income streams and benefits like Social Security, Medicare, any pension benefits that may be available through your employer that you or they've been contributing to over the years, etc. cetera. Um, and this you know, is where a financial advisor can be super helpful because a lot of this stuff could be difficult to understand on your own. But you just kind of start – we're not setting it in stone, but we're starting to formulate how are we going to start collecting money in retirement. What accounts are we maybe going to start drawing from? you know, what accounts we want to contribute to more now so that we can set that future self up for success. And timeline wise, you know, if we're thinking of retiring before 65, what are we going to do for health insurance before Medicare kicks in? Um, Same with Social Security, you probably want to delay that until age 67 or 70 to maximize the benefits. And for a lot of you listening, the Rules of Social Security will change before you're eligible to collect benefits. So maybe you you aren't collecting until age 73 or 75 if you're listening in your 20s and 30s right now. You know, time will tell. Um, but I, I imagine Social Security will be adjusted. It's not going to go away. I I can promise you there's very few things I will promise. I don't know this for a fact, but I can almost pr- <laughs> s- with with high degree of certainty promise you <laughs> that there will be Social Security for everyone listening to this. It may be different than your parents' or grandparents' Social Security formula, but there will be something for you. Um, but yeah, figuring, you know, just figuring out uh, uh, you know, loosely what that's going to look like so that there's not any surprises when you come to retirement. And, and so you can kind of decide, are, are we on the right track to retire when we want to? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So goal number two, try to become debt free, and this isn't imperative. Like I know plenty of retirees that still carry a mortgage. You know, if you have a three percent interest rate mortgage right now, and you can get five percent interest on a treasury bill, or four and a half on a four and a half to five, almost on a money market fund, like you know, maybe paying off the mortgage isn't that enticing. You can collect more in interest than you're paying at the moment. But um, but you know, mostly becoming debt free, definitely takes a big burden off of your shoulders when you get to retirement because you don't have those obligations to pay for anymore. So like just using the mortgage example, you got that fixed monthly payment you have to pay every single month when you don't have income coming in anymore. That can be, even if it's affordable based on your savings, it's still psychologically can be a little scary. So the less required payments you have, the more, free you can feel when you're retired. So, you know, trying to get rid of all your debts in the late stages of your career so that you can enter retirement free and clear of debt is is powerful. And then number three, start looking at long term care. Uh, for yourself. So that might be self-funding. You might have saved up enough to where you feel like, you know what, I've got enough money, more money than I'll need. I'm either going to leave an inheritance to my kids or if I need to go into a facility, I can afford to pay for it myself. Great. More power to you. That's, you know, one option to cover long-term care. For some of you, you may not feel confident enough that you can pay for it yourself. And and that's where long-term care insurance um, can be uh, advantageous for you. Or maybe you do want to make sure you can leave a certain inheritance behind uh, for your heirs or for a charity or for whatever. And that's where you know long-term care insurance could help you preserve your nest egg so that that inheritance is available for the the next generation Um, no right or wrong answer everyone's circumstance is different but statistically speaking there's a really good chance you're going to need some form of of care in the late stages of your life whether that be at home or in a facility Uh, but it's it's pretty likely that you know it'll happen so we ideally we have some sort of game plan for that
0: um i really like this bonus one (laughs) Take it away. Cool. I mean, so obviously, like all of those are really important, like refine your exit strategy, become debt free or like close to debt free research, long term care planning, just kind of figure out what that looks like for you. And just as a bonus, I think if you are in a situation where you look at your finances and you're like, okay, I have more wealth than I need right now, I don't I'm not going to need all of this. I think it can be really powerful and important to start thinking about what you want to do with it now, especially at that advanced career stage when you're in your peak income earning years. Um, And that could be enjoying it more yourself. It could mean starting to give money away now. Like if you think about it, if you do have kids, for example, do you think they're going to benefit more from that when they're 25 or 30 or when they're, you know, 55 and, And you leave this world, like I think probably when they're younger, that money is going to be a lot more valuable to them. So if you're in that situation, I think that that's really important to think about and also very rewarding. You've worked really hard for the the income that you have, probably. And so I think that, you know, you kind of deserve to see it go where you want to see it go.
1: For sure. Yeah, I think we talked about that a few episodes ago on the Spend it all or die with nothing. Episode, um, you know, the, the I guess somewhat self-serving, but it, it you know it's nice to see the charitable dollars go to work or the inheritance go to work if you leave it after you pass away. You don't get to see the benefits of it. Maybe you don't want to. That's fine. But you know, being able to help a child in their early adulthood, early career with a down payment on a house, you know, that could that could be uh, rewarding for both them and you versus, you know, like Rochelle said, if they're 55, 60 years old when they're getting the inheritance. I mean, there's a half decent chance they're retired at that point And it's just, you know, kind of meaningless money uh, to them uh, when they get to that stage. So, um, yeah, good one to think about there, too. Let's see the final stage. Financial independence. <laughs> Retirement um, and, and retirement could mean different things for different people. Maybe you're still working in some capacity, you know, part time or, you know, working for a charity or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, you're, you're living life on your own terms. You're financially independent. So goal number one would be diversify your savings and investments appropriately so that some of the money is insulated from market movement um, you know, and, you, and you have in the immediate future. So as we get closer to retirement for our clients, we'll kind of start setting things up into essentially three buckets. There's the money I need to spend now or in the next couple years. And you know, basically that's in cash or cash equivalent. So it's not gonna go up or down in value. You might get a tiny bit of interest on it, but it's safe. You know it's there and, and you have access to it readily. And then there's kind of that medium term bucket that's going to be, you know, high quality, uh, lower risk type of investments, mostly bonds. um, So you can potentially get a little bit more interest, not risk free. They can go down in value, but but historically, at least, you know, the the fluctuations in value are aren't very drastic. And, you know, you'll you'll have that there available for you, um, you know, for the medium term future. And then there's the long-term money that, you know, we still want to be invested in things like stocks, real estate, et cetera, that has an opportunity to grow. Because even though you might be retired, inflation is still going to be a big enemy of yours. You know, if you retire at a normal age in your 60s, let's say, there's a good chance you're living another 30 years or more. You know, we we need our investments to continue to grow because cost of living is going to double over that time. So we still need our investments to grow so we can maintain our standard of living throughout our golden years. So we still need to you know, keep some of that money invested in the long run for growth. But um, you know, really uh, you know, trying to insulate some of the short-term money so that if our you know, more aggressive investments are down in value in a given year, we don't have to tap into those at, at reduced prices. We have the safe stuff that we can tap into while we wait for our other investments to hopefully rebound and recover. Let's see. Goal number two, um, revisit the estate planning documents and beneficiary designations. You know, children are probably adults by now. Maybe your objectives have changed. You know, probably smart to do this every handful of years. But, you know, especially as we're we're getting closer to the finish line of life, I want to make sure that's all buttoned and organized and to our liking. And laws and rules change, too. So tax laws change, you know, regulations change. What you what you know you can do with those you know, trusts or wills et cetera, changes um, so it, it's good to periodically stay on top of those um, you know to make sure things are will go will play out according to plan or according to the way you want them to if something happens to you and then um, goal number three is probably the hardest one for people. Um, for a lot of people who are successfully retired and financially independent, um, but spend your money, y- <laughs> you, you've worked hard to enjoy your, your life. Let, you know, you can't take it to the grave with you. So let's spend it, spend down those assets that you've worked so hard to save up. That's why you've saved so you can spend them, um, you know and hopefully you've you've kind of found that balance earlier in your life to where you you can do the things that you want to do and and, and still save for your future. but and you can just continue doing those fun things while you're retired. but I, I know a number of people that have more money than they will ever spend, and there's definitely things that they could spend money on to improve their quality of life. Or enjoyment, but it's just psychologically, they've spent decades and decades being frugal and saving and they just can't get themselves to commit to spending money on something that they would deem as a luxury and not a necessity. And I mean, easier said than done, but yeah, just do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a handful of clients who are very, very, very concerned about not having income (laughs) and it's just it's really interesting because you spent your whole life saving your income so that when you are retired your investments become your source of income and living expenses and yet they cannot wrap their minds around that when they finally get to the finish line and maybe you know they just need additional coaching and things like that but really like that's what that money is there for. You don't have income anymore, at least not the way that you did before. Maybe there's some social Security, maybe some pension income. but like your your assets are your income at this point. And yes, like permission slip to spend them. And I know some people can worry about running out of money, obviously, you know, we want to be cautious, but most people are overly cautious and lots of people, like statistically speaking, do not spend down their assets. Like that is very, 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 very common. And so that's that's something that you're going to have to eventually wrap your mind around. and Or else I think it just comes back to you worked all of those hours for money to just sit there. You know, like maybe you really enjoyed your work. Maybe you don't have a problem with that. But I think for most people, you're working in order to build up those assets so eventually you don't have to work anymore. So then if you get there and you don't spend it, like what was the point? What was the point? <laughs>
1: And this is it is a problem of privilege. You know, yes. the majority of Americans like they get Social Security. They don't really have much saved for retirement. It, it, you know, life's not great. I mean, it's they might be content and be able to live within their means in retirement, but there's no first class trips to Europe. Um, you know, so if we're fortunate enough to have built up that nest egg to where you can, you know, spend the money, let, let's really. You know, easier said than done and who know? we don't know how long you're going to live. You know, if you live to be 110, yeah, maybe you'll run out. That's a possibility. Um, you know, if you're planning to live to 90, but you last another two decades, it, it is, there is, you know, so we still have to have some element of frugality. We can't just blow it all, you know, when we retire and then have nothing left. Uh, but you know, at least it'd make a good story for your uh, final <laughs> years. But, um, but yeah, it, you know, Within reason, try and splurge a little bit. Treat yourself and, you know, if you have, yeah, treat yourself (laughs) if you have the money. (laughs) Parks and Rec fans out there. Um, If you have the money to do it, uh, you know, hire a private chef to cook a dinner for you and your friends every once in a while. Go get a massage, you know, get a limo to take you downtown for dinner one night, you know, or upgrade to first class for that vacation, one day like you know you don't do it every time but you know kind of here and there splurge a little bit and, and do some fun things that may be on the bucket list or that you've always said hey this would be cool to do but you've never done and and may never will so let, let's actually do those things make the memories totally
0: let's do a quick rundown Corey. so three goals as a student live frugally avoid credit card debt and minimize your student loan balance done
1: As a doctor in training, make income driven, driven payments on federal direct student loans so that you can qualify for PSLF if, you know, in the cards in the future. Um, Contribute enough to your retirement plan at work to get the full company match and protect your future earnings with by getting a disability insurance policy.
0: Mm -hmm. As a new attending, if you haven't already, build up your emergency reserves. Number one. Number two, try to max out any tax advantage retirement plans for 401k, 403b, IRA. Goal number three, try to save at least 20% of your gross income before taxes for retirement. And then maybe extra if you need to. Buy a house if you want, you know.
1: Then once you're settled into practice, you know, kind of define those goals, hone in on them, adjust them. Let's kind of set our sights on what we want to accomplish with the rest of our career, Um, eliminate student loan debt and start to get an understanding of your parents' situation.
0: Mm -hmm. Later in your career, you're going to want to try to refine your exit strategy, like really narrow in on what you want that to look like, Um, become debt-free or mostly debt-free, and then research long-term care planning for yourself. That can be a very large end-of-life expense, and we just want to make sure we're kind of well-prepared for that.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, and then financial independence, retirement. Goal number one, diversify your savings appropriately so that short-term money is insulated from market movement. And I guess that could be something you start to do in the tail end of your career. Goal number two, revisit estate planning documents. And then number three, spend that money.
0: Do it. Take a breath. Relax. You earned it. Thank you for listening, everyone.
1: See you next time.
0: We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC.
1: You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff
0: You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vandersanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vandersanen.
1: Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our financial clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog.